means he's cranky. How many have ever met old, rich, cranky people? Is there any, any, you think there's any old, rich, cranky people out there? Well, he recognized he had a problem, so he went to his rabbi. Well, that's probably a good thing to do. And the rabbi took him by the hand. He took him to the window, and he said, what do you see outside? So he looked out the window, and he said, well, I see men, I see women, I see children. Great. Took him by the hand. He walked him over to a mirror, and he said, what do you see now? He said, well, I see myself. Then the rabbi said, you know, in the window, there is glass, and in the mirror, there is glass. But the glass in the mirror is covered with a little silver, and no sooner is the silver added that you stop seeing others, and you only see yourself. Well, that's a very profound thought. How many caught it? That when you add a little money into our life, sometimes we lose a vision beyond ourselves. That's what he was saying. We live in a society that is constantly reinforcing to us, it's about us. You deserve a break today, right? You know, I mean, everywhere I turn, it's about you could be a little happier or you could get this car or if you had this car, you would attract this person. I mean, on and on it goes, right? We're being told that the reason we're not totally fulfilled is that we lack this one important thing in our life. And so what do we do? We just start acquiring things. Now, how many have discovered that after a while you're acquiring things, it hasn't really done that much to change how you feel? Oh, you're maybe initially, oh, I got a brand new car. And then you get the first dent, first rock chip, first ding, right? Everyone goes, oh, I hate that. Come on now. If you've ever had a new car, you just, you groan. And then after that, there's three dings, and then there's four dings, and then there's five dings, and then a few years go by, and then things start happening, and after a while, it's just the car that gets you here. Right? I hate to tell you, but that's kind of how it works, right? But yet we find ourselves constantly striving to acquire things, but often at the expense of the most important thing, which is relationships. Isn't that true? And I think ultimately the ultimate relationship, which is God himself. So often, the things we desire begin to possess us rather than we possess them. You know, it's interesting that while Jesus was talking to a crowd of people, we're going to look at the context of this parable. I've been doing a little mini-series on the parables of Jesus. He's talking about life. He's talking about the challenges in life. And by the way, are there a few challenges in life? Well, of course there are. And so while he's talking, you know, about these challenges, he's interrupted by someone who's concerned about his inheritance. There's a squabble, a family pressure going on. And I think some of the nastiest family tensions are over money. You know, you just got to be an attorney and you're starting to deal with the probating of a will and you'll find out how nice people are to each other. It can get really nasty sometimes. Warren Worsby points out something that Jesus um, doesn't answer the man the way he wants him to. As a matter of fact, he says this, there are many people who want Jesus to solve their problems but not to change their hearts. 
I mean, there's a lot of people out there, they want God to, you know, do something for them, but they don't really want God to mess with them. They, they don't want God to change their life. They don't want God to really do something that would totally transform their orientation, their attitude, the direction of their life. They just want God to fulfill their agenda. You know, and, and think about this. How many people, when you come up to God in the morning and say, you know, Lord, this is your day. What are we doing together? And what do you want me to do? Like, what can I do for you? I mean, how many of us, we just come to God and we say, God, what can I do for you today? That's not, a, that's not the normal way of thinking about our relationship with God. We usually come with our little shopping list of things that we need God to attend for us. And yes, I know that we're very needy. And yes, I know that God doesn't really need anything. But you know, how many know it's kind of nice once in a while when someone who's doing things for you all the time, you kind of stop to thank them, number one. And number two, you know, like maybe there's something you would like me to do. In other words, Maybe I should be asking God, what is your agenda and not always, what is my agenda? It's just coming at it from a little different way. Well, let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, when the crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, they probably just needed a bigger building. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, were probably, they were probably outside. I'm just teasing. Uh, you know, it's funny how these passages kind of work, right? Now, you can see how you can, bad interpretation, bad interpretation. I'm teaching on interpreting. You can't do that. That's not what this text is saying. But I could imagine some preachers doing that. Okay. So they were trampling on one another. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, and then we realize that Jesus goes on to talk about things in this life that rob us of spiritual vitality. He names three of them hypocrisy. How many know what hypocrisy? You know, where I pretend I'm more than what I am. I'm acting like I'm really spiritual, but my life's not in order. That's hypocrisy, okay? That's always been a threat. Oh, by the, world, by the way, the, the, the society looks at the church, and when we're telling them we're better than what we are, they're looking at us and going, no, you're not. So you just better be yourself. You know, the best thing about life is if you're yourself, you never have to tell a lie. You just have to maintain who you are. It's a lot easier. If you keep the story straight, tell the truth, you don't have to worry about getting the wrong story. Just a thought. Okay, then it says covetousness. I'll give you a new word, greed. It kind of goes down the same track. And as a, by the way, covetousness in Colossians 3.5 is idolatry. And what is idolatry? Trying to put a false substitute in our life to make, meet the needs in our life and one of the greatest challenges in this culture, in the world, is materialism. And by the way, when we think that people that have nothing have a problem with materialism, I'm going to suggest to you that they probably have less of a problem with materialism because they don't have it. And most of the people around them don't have it. So most of the world, this isn't the big issue. The people that are struggling with materialism are the people that have the most. Because what I've discovered is the more I have, the more I think I need. I just bought this thing, and oh, yeah, I need this to go with it. Or, you know, there was a great sale on, right? I saved you all this money. I love that rationale. How do you save at a sale? You're still spending, you know? Click, click, you know? But we don't think that way. Or the bank sends a thing that says, we'll extend your credit. What they're saying is, we're willing to get, allow you to go further into debt. 
I'm just giving, I'm just changing, you know, the vernacular a little bit so we get it. The third thing that we struggle with that really robs us of spiritual vitality is worry. Now notice that all is in the context of materialism, especially this one of covetousness and worry. I mean, we have a tendency to get a little anxious about things. And here's the good news for you. Jesus says to us, you know, God takes care of the sparrows. So, you know what, think about it. Don't you think you're more important to God than a sparrow? Unless you're an environmentalist. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's just teasing. Yeah. Well, we, we tend to get a little extreme at times, all right? But my, my point is simply this. It, it, it just goes down this line. We need to know that God cares about us. That's the point he's making. Listen, if you and I care for our children or our grandchildren, don't you think God cares more about us than even we care about each other? Because half the time we're saying or doing something that hurts each other anyways. We have a, an innate ability to offend each other. Isn't that true? We just kind of do that all the time. We, we just have that skill, you know? So... Jesus is interrupted in verse 13. This is where we're picking up the story, and then we'll get into the parable. It says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That seemed like a reasonable request. But, you know, Jesus probably could have settled this with his amazing wisdom and skill. How many think Jesus probably could have settled that problem in no time flat? But you know what I noticed he did not do? He didn't settle it. Look what it says here in verse 14. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Now, When he says that, you and I need to understand something. In the Old Testament, and at the time of Jesus, religious leaders were asked to settle such disputes. So this was normal behavior. Today, we usually go to a court of law. We go to a lawyer's office to try to settle these things. But in those days, they went to religious teachers. And Jesus said, look, that's not what I'm focusing in on. It's not like he doesn't care about it. It's just that that was not Christ's mission. And so he didn't get bogged down with this what we will call minutia, okay? It's not that he's saying it's not important. He's just saying that's not what it's about. As a matter of fact, he uses that to give a little warning. And he warns the man against a greater evil than being defrauded. Now, you know, some of you, you may have been financially defrauded, you know, taken advantage of financially. And we've all probably experienced that where someone has taken advantage of us financially. How many know that, that really, especially if you don't have a lot, that's, that's really painful, isn't it? Somebody taking advantage, especially when they've got a lot more than you have and they're just getting richer at your expense. Doesn't that kind of get you upset? You know? But I'm going to tell you something that's worse than being taken advantage of. You know what's worse? It's being greedy. That's far worse. Way worse, Jesus says. Look what he says in verse 15. Then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, this is not the essence of who people really are. And if you think that because you have a lot of resources that you're something, Jesus says, you're deceiving yourself. It's not about who has the most toys at the end. You know that bumper sticker, he who has the most toys wins? Wrong answer. You know, because that's not what it's about. As a matter of fact, what you'll discover is as you continue the journey of life and you start acquiring things, there's going to come a stage where you realize you're going to have to deacquire things. In other words, you're going to have to get rid of most of the junk that's been built up in the garage that you hardly use or ever see 
but you've acquired and accumulated over time. And eventually you downsize. That's amazing. You get around seniors and they start downsizing and you end up in one room. And I always say to people, it gets worse than that. In your last days, you're on one bed. Pastor, you're depressing me today. <laughs> I'm giving you a reality check. So if you're out there, you know, beating your brains, trying to make all this money, just remember at the end of it all, you're lying on one bed. And when you're on that bed, I want you to think about it. At that time, does it matter what you drive? You're not getting off that bed. Is it going to matter then at what you've driven? Well, yeah, but I enjoyed my vehicle. Great, I'm glad you did. But my point is this. It doesn't mean a whole lot at that moment. And what's more important at that moment is about what you're about to experience. You're going to step into eternity and you're going to say to yourself, am I ready to meet the one who created me? Big question. That's the most important question. You know, I want to, this is a little aside, but I think this is important. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't feel like he had to meet this guy's need? And there's some people in this room, you feel a lot of pressure to meet people's needs. And I'm going to say something. Some of you don't have healthy boundaries. Ultimately, it's not about meeting people's needs that ought to drive our lives and ministries. It's doing God's will. I'm going to tell you there's going to always be more needs than any one of us can meet. Now, here's the two dangers when we come to that cr crossroads where we're seeing all of these needs. One, we try to meet them all, or two, we don't meet any. But I think there's a third course. God, which ones do you want me to meet? Okay? So if everybody does what they're supposed to do, a lot of needs will be met. Does that make sense? And so we should, you know, and you say, well, how do I know, Pastor, which needs are the ones that I'm supposed to meet? Let me tell you, sometimes they just come right into your life. You go, I didn't ask for this. God goes, no, I brought it to you. Right there, right in front of you. You can't get around it, okay? Now, I'm going to go on and say this. Jesus, sometimes we have to say no to people. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not bad. Uh, we are primarily servants of God, not people. Though one of the ways of serving God is by serving people. Notice Jesus does not address this issue. Doesn't solve the problem. But he's more concerned about the core issue that's driving the question. And usually when you get into these financial areas, a lot of times you're dealing with a thing called covetousness. Or this is what I want. You know, the Bible, it's interesting he, Jesus gives us this warning. And it's a warning, I think, that our time and our culture, and particularly in central Alberta, we need to listen to. Here comes verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Hey, if Jesus is telling you to watch out, how many think you better pay attention? I think I need to pay attention. This is Jesus talking. Paul, you need to watch out. What am I supposed to watch out for, Lord? Be on your guard. What am I supposed to be on my guard about? All kinds of greed. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is he saying to me? He's saying, be content with what you've got. Be content with what you've got. If you've got food and clothing, be content. How's that? It's enough. You know, I've had a little struggle with this every once in a while. None of you in this room have ever battled this. 
I remember one time we were on vacation. I'm sitting on a vacation. I'm in vacation mode. I'm away from the city of Red Deer. It's a nice, beautiful, sunny day. I'm on a beach in Vancouver complaining that my life is tough. I could just see God going, what is his problem? He's on a beach. He's got everything going for him. You know, but you know, every once in a while, we kind of feel like, woe is me. None of you have ever had that experience. But I'm sitting on this beach, and God starts talking to me through Scripture. By the way, if you read the Bible a lot, God can talk to you a lot. And if you're not reading the Bible, it'll, you know, a lot of times you'll just continue the pity party. You know, Satan will come up, pour his cup of tea, and join you, and tell you how bad off you are. And you go on your own pity party. And you can stay on that. And some people have camped on pity parties for, you know, weeks, months. Some of them go for years. And he'll just keep adding the tea bag and the little hot water, and you'll just keep <laughs> your right on going. You know, and I was going on that little pity party, and, you know, because self-pity was a big issue when I was a kid. Now, I could go into why that is, but, you know, God has been helping me a lot. I rarely go there. Thank God for that. And I was there. And the Spirit of God spoke to me through the Word of God, and it was Psalm 16. He says, I've given you a delightful inheritance. It kind of shut me right up. And then I, I felt God saying to me, I have blessed you with so much, I want you to just start thinking about all the things I've blessed you with. So I started, by the way, I was reading a Bible commentary at the time, which didn't help anything. So I'm sitting here and I'm starting to think about all the good things God's blessed me with, and I started realizing how fortunate I am. I am really blessed. And the more I thought about it, the happier I was getting. And then I realized something else. I felt God impress this thought. If I need it, you'll, I just felt God kind of say, if you need it, you'll get it. And if you don't get it, you don't need it. Hallelujah. And you know, that little lesson on that beach has served me really good because now I just walk around and go, if I need it, I get it. And if I don't have it, I don't need it. And that's caused a lot of contentment inside of me. As a matter of fact, Philippians chapter 4 talks about contentment because how many know covetousness is the opposite of contentment? And you know, how many would like to just be content and it wouldn't matter how much you have? You just want to be content. Here's the secret. Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content, Philippians 4.12. He says, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to you know, really be without. But he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. How many want to discover the secret of contentment? Here it comes, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. In other words, when I know that Christ is my portion, and he can give me strength, I don't have to want something else. I can just relax. If I have Jesus Christ, I have enough. I have enough. Wow, is that ever good? All right. Well, you change the inside of a man and you'll have someone that will impact society in a more profound way. But you know, if you just keep giving him the things he wants, all you're doing is creating a consumer. Anybody say amen? That's what's happening. And by the way, when you create a consumer, all you're creating is somebody who's dissatisfied. Isn't that what advertisement is predicated on, is creating dissatisfaction inside of us? Sure it is. And that's why North Americans are so dissatisfied. You didn't know that. Here you thought you had to go and get special treatment and all the rest of it. I'm just helping you out for free here today. And that's great. <laughs> I'm explaining it to you. Well, let's take a look at three things 
that we need to consider in battling covetousness. And the first point is long and the next two are real brief. So just hang tough. Okay, first thing is that life does not consist of the things we own. This is, I had to spend a little time here because this is a big challenge for us. Possessing material goods does not bring long-lasting satisfaction in our lives. And everyone said, yeah. it's the truth. Charles Swindoll says, you know, that's how our society is structured. We must be in constant pursuit for something out there that is sure to bring us happiness. Uh, but contentment is impossible without striving for more. God's word offers the exact, exact opposite advice. Contentment is possible when we stop striving for more. Just knock it off. Just accept what you've got. Just be happy with it. Aren't I helping you out today? Some of you are all stressed and wired and wound up for sound. I'm just saying relax. If you need it, God will give it to you. If you don't need it, if you don't have it, you don't need it. Write that one down. It'll go good. It'll really help you out. Well, I think I need this person in my life, God. If you don't have that person, you don't need them. You don't need her. I'm helping everybody out here today. We're, we're not going every which, you can apply this in so many which directions. It's amazing how liberating this thing is. Okay, contentment never comes from externals. There, you should underline that one. It doesn't come from outside. It's a problem within. To whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes says this, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied in his income. Ask a rich person, how much more would satisfy? And they'll just say a little bit more. They just can never be satisfied. It's just the way it works. You want to go to the dragon's den, ask what, Ke- uh, what's his name? Kevin? Ask Kevin, how much more would satisfy you? You know, these guys are never satisfied because money can't satisfy. Hmm. Well, I don't think it's wrong to own things just as long as things don't own us. But listen to what Warren Worsby says. You know, people say that money does not satisfy, which I just said, but it does satisfy in this respect if you want to live at that level. What level? People who are satisfied only with the things that money can buy are in great danger of losing the things that money cannot buy. Peace of mind relationship with God, friendships. How many people have gone out and worked themselves to the bone and in the end have lost their families and everything, their health, they've lost everything just because they allowed this tyrant to take over their lives. Now, let's go to the parable. And he told them this parable, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. I think that's interesting. I asked in the first service, because Mel's a farmer, how much does it depend on farming? He said 20%. The rest is 80%. 80% depends on God. By the way, it's not just farming. It's everything in life. If God doesn't bless you, you ain't getting it. You can be the smartest person in the world, but you know what? He can have disaster strike you. If you're being blessed right now, get on your knees and thank God. He's the one that's giving it to you. But this man thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, I know. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store my, store my surplus grain. Now, I'm going to say something. Do you think it was wrong for him to tear down barns and build bigger barns? Not necessarily. What's the problem in the story? Here it is. He said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I will store up my surplus grain. 
There's two things that reveal the condition of this man's soul. First of all, he assumes that his wealth has come as a result of something he has done. God's not in the equation. He's not even talking to God. He's assuming that he's somehow brought this prosperity on himself. Let me tell you something. I don't care how hard you worked, that prosperity you got, it came from the hand of God as well. God's blessed you. He gave you the strength, he gave you the wisdom, he gave you the the right season, he gave you everything that you have. You need to get on your face and thank God for it, okay? Number one. Number two, rather than communicating to God what should be done, the rich man communicated to himself. Do you know what? Why don't we say, hey God, if you're really blessing me, what should I be doing? Instead of, this is what I think I'll do. Now, I don't think it's wrong to enjoy life, and I don't think it's wrong to enjoy things. I don't think it's wrong to plan. I don't think it's wrong to you know, prepare for your retirement. I think all those things are okay. The story is telling us something, though. When God is not in our deliberations, when we're not seeking God, when we're not communing with God, we're not in com- connecting with God, that's the problem. It's all about us. You know, Mo- Moses warned the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. What is he saying? Have a little Thanksgiving service. Yeehaw, look what God did for me, right? Yeah. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Whoa. Be careful to not what? Forget God. What's happened in Canada? We're forgetting God. That's what we're doing. Just watch. Failing to observe his commands. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, then your hearts will become what? Proud. And then you will what? Forget whom? The Lord, your God, who did what? Brought you out of the land of slavery. Man, I tell you, that's what happens. Prosperity can also be the demise of our lives if we become proud and forget God. I think God wants to bless us. I think God wants to keep using resources from us. God wants to look for people to be instruments of blessing to others. I don't have a problem with that. But boy, we better be careful we're not forgetting God. We better be careful we're not becoming proud. I'll tell you, you can become proud. It's bad news. The world would see nothing to condemn in his plans for the future enjoyment. He determines now to rest from his labor. Sounds like a retirement plan. His plan of happiness rises no higher than to satisfying the satisfying of his earthly nature, his flesh. And there's a melancholy irony in making him address the speech to his soul. He says to himself, he has got no one to talk to. He's got no friends. Why is he doing this? Interesting. All about him. I'm going to build bigger barns, my barns, my grains, my good, my soil, that all reveal he's focused on whom? Thank you. It's himself. Okay, let me move on. I'm skipping through because time is a flying. Second point that we have no control over life. How many know you don't even know that you have tomorrow? How many know in this room that every day is a gift from God? It's not a right. You can't walk around and go, God, you owe me this. God doesn't owe us anything. He's given us the gift called life. He can decide your time is up. This is it. You go, oh, I got cheated. 
What do you mean he got cheated? I only get this many years. God determines how many years we have. I'm going to suggest a thought to you. We've got to start thinking differently. See, we think, oh, God's obligated to give us a long life. No, he's not. Let's make sure that the life we have, we live it well. Let's make sure that we find true happiness. Let me, let me say something. I'm listening to some lectures this week. This guy brings out a very important point. You know the word happiness? When I think of the word happy, what do we think of when we go, I feel, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I'm happy. I took my, I took my power out of my point here. I'm happy. What is that? When, when we think of happiness, what are we thinking? Feelings and emotion, right? I feel good, do, 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 you know? Isn't that kind of where we're at? You know, you know, when we think of happiness, we think of this feeling. You know, the ancient people didn't think that way. Happiness has been redefined. Do you know what happiness really meant to the ancient peoples? It was to find meaning, significance, and purpose in life. That's true happiness. As a matter of fact, I have a funny feeling that when the United States, they chartered their Declaration of Independence, and they talked about the pursuit of happiness, they weren't talking about everybody has the right to feel good. That's not what they were thinking. They were probably linked up to the older understanding of the word, which meant that we have the ability to pursue meaning and significance and purpose in our life. But you know what? We're in a different time. And now it's, we've degenerated the idea of happiness to, I got to feel something. I want to feel good. Come on now. And so now we abuse all kinds of chemicals and substances so that we can maintain a certain feeling. I feel blue. I feel bad. You know, sometimes we need to feel blue and bad because you know what? We're probably doing something God wants us to change. He wants us to change our actions that are causing, you know, negative consequences in our life. And we just think, you know, you know, I used to feel good when I did this, but now the consequences are kicking in and I don't feel so good. I don't feel happy anymore. I'll up the, the stuff. Take me to that level of feeling happy. Why am I saying all of this, Pastor? Why are you saying this to us, Pastor? I want us to know that you and I don't have control over life. God does. Look what it says in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? What is God saying to this man? Your soul isn't even yours. You belong to me. I made you. I can call your number at any point. That's heavy, isn't it? Time's out. Time's up. You're coming home. Wow. Then it says, not only would he be removed, but others would acquire what he had labored for. You know the author of Ecclesiastes, very pessimistic view of life, by the way. He's, he's basically talking about what happens when you live life apart from God. And you know, I got a little irked. Every once in a while, I get a little irked. This is what irked me this week. We had this forum on Monday night. Some of you came. Thank you, by the way. But we were told that secularism from the atheists, this was the pinnacle of society. 
Atheism and secularism and materialism produces cynicism. Listen to what happened here. Ecclesiastes says, I hated all these things. I had toil for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Man, I acquired all these good things to play with, but I didn't get a chance to really use them to their fullest, and now my number is being called. I gotta leave them behind. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a foolish person. Isn't that true? Yet they will not have control over, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. What's he saying? I'm bummed. Because I did all this hard work, I've acquired all this stuff, and some idiot's going to get it after me. And you go, no, 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 pastor. We can will it to our kids. Yeah, and it could be the very thing that destroys them. Hello? See, we're not that brilliant. You know? Who's to say that they're going to do wise things with what we've done? Or stupid things? Hmm, Interesting. Jesus now ends the parable with a warning, verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. There's the warning. He's saying you got things, you better have God in the equation. You better have God in center place. You better be rich towards God. You better know what you're doing with that stuff because those good things can become bad things if God is not in the equation. Okay? Everybody getting it? So he's not against things He's against excluding God with what God is blessing us with. We need to understand that. We must remember that God is there regardless of people know him or not. Our souls actually belong to God. Listen to what Jesus said. No man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. No, no. He's saying... This is an impossibility. If you make money your goal, if you make materialism your life, you are not serving God. Are we getting it? And if you are serving God, money becomes a tool in how I go about doing that. I only am now a steward realizing that, you know, if you ever tell me it's your money... I might be tempted to slap you. (laughs) I'm just teasing. But I just, that's so foreign to the Bible. Think about it. It's not ours. Are we getting it? It's not yours. You are all managers, and you're going to give an accounting before God one day. What in the world are you doing with it? And if you've been just goofing off, and it's all been about you, you are in trouble. It's getting really quiet in here. (laughs) Pastor, you are messing with us. Do you know, I think the biggest demon hanging out in Canada is the demon called materialism. And I think his operations center is in central Alberta. And that's why today it's been such a spiritual battle because when you take on the biggest problems... See, nobody wants to talk about this, but I am, because last week I declared war on the power of darkness, taking authority. We're going in, releasing captives. 
This is one of the biggest strongholds that people in this room are struggling with. And I notice in this room, including myself, we have to battle this thing and say, okay, God, I'm a servant. I'm a steward. Help me to get up in the morning and operate according to your design and plan. Let me move on. The third point. We're coming to an end. Real quick. What motivates our lives? The third best way to battle covetousness or greed is discover what is motivating us. And if you are living to please God, if you are living to serve God, if you are living to pursue God, if you're living to see his kingdom come, if you're living to see his will done, you're going to defeat this giant. But if you get caught up with the cares and the affairs, what chokes out the word of God? Come on now, Bible quiz. The deceitfulness of riches chokes the word of God out of our lives. The cares and the affairs of this life choke the word of God out of our lives. You can have all these cares and affairs that's going to choke God's word out of your life. The deceitfulness of riches. You start pursuing the big bucks, and I'm going to guarantee you, you're choking God's word out of your life. Pretty soon you'll have no interest in spiritual things. You'll be going after the big dollars, and Satan will be laughing because he said, oh, that's all it cost to get his soul. Because Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Folks, I'm your friend. I'm talking to you this morning to tell you, watch your soul. And the big giant in central Alberta, the big demon that's going to get you here, is called materialism. And most of us act like, oh, this is just a good life. Yeah, that's keeping you from the best life. It's the truth. What can I learn from this parable? What are some of the things I can learn? I'm going to close with this. One, we have little control over our lives regardless of what we think. Write that down. God's in control. Two, Trying to find meaning and fulfillment from, in life from possessions while ignoring God is not only unwise, it's deadly. Number three, that our own personal security and real pleasure does not lie in acquiring things. It's in relationships with God and with other people. I'm giving you the good news here. Four, this parable tells us that life is fragile. We're going to give an account to God, and he can call your number any day he wants to. Every day is a gift. Number five, was there anything wrong with this man reinvesting his wealth? Of course not. The real issue is that he was living for himself rather than living for God. So how does the use of my money reflect my spiritual values? How can I tell whether I'm serving God or money? I'm so glad you asked that question. It's a good question. I'm going to close with this illustration or this statement by Warren Worsby. He said, you know, the rich farmer, when he discovered that God had given him a windfall, he could have called his family and friends together and led them in a little prayer service, a little praise service, a little thanksgiving service. 
glorifying God for God's blessing in his life. He might have shared his wealth with those who were less fortunate than him. By the way, that was what the Old Testament said to do, right? Is there a lot of people that have amazing needs and maybe some of us who have a little more can help them? Of course. He might have distributed it to the members of his family to use while he was still alive so that they wouldn't have to argue over it after he was gone. How many families have been destroyed because of a wealthy parent leaving money to them and the kids destroy relationships with each other? Why don't we try leaving a little bit while we're still alive and it probably wouldn't get all eaten up by taxes? Hope the government's not listening in on that one. <clears throat> and the last thing is he could have invested that wealth in a wise way and used the income for a worthy project in his community to make his place a better place to live. Why can't we think beyond ourselves? You know, after we have our needs met, what more do we need? Can I try that one again? After your needs are met, what more do you need? Thank you. And if you know that you're God's child and you know that he loves you, why worry? Come on now. Come on now, isn't that the truth? Why are we worrying? Can he take care of you? <clears throat> I want you to know God has taken care of me every day of my life. And I love what David says, I was once young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I said, Lord, thank you. I don't ever believe I'll ever have to beg. I believe I have a Father in heaven who cares for me. We'll make sure my needs are met and make sure my children's needs are met. As a matter of fact, I have such an audacious kind of faith that I believe that my kids are going to be great in the land and my grandkids are going to be great in the land. You say, Pastor, you believe that? I said, absolutely. Amen? Okay, let's stand this morning. Have the worship team come back. You know, these guys were saying, Pastor, it's been so intense here today trying to worship God. I go, yeah, but we're battling the biggest demon in central Alberta called materialism. What do you expect? We declared war on the kingdom of darkness last week. How many kind of got a sense of that? We're trying to get captives, be delivered from the house of bondage. You know, the truth makes us free. You heard the truth today. You go, I didn't like it, Pastor. You know, I was hoping to go out and just spend, 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 you know? And I'm telling you, you can't just do that. You need to get on your knees and say, God, what are we doing with your money? Notice I didn't say your money. I said God's money. Okay, now God says, here, I'm giving you a little bit, and I'm giving you a little bit to enjoy. Hey, God doesn't, God's not a party pooper. He's a big partier. He can give you some to enjoy. But you know, after a certain point, we got to start saying, hey, i got a responsibility. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, just with every head bowed here this morning, I had some people, I said afterwards, I go, wow, this is not what I call the most rah, rah, rah sermon because it was kind of meddling. But I had one of our visitors come to me. He says, I've been in church for the last 10 years. Not to our church, visitor. So it was the best sermon I've ever heard in the last 10 years. Why did he say that? Because he felt it was speaking to the issue of the hour. Don't you think this is a big issue? Yes. Don't you think we're struggling with things like worry? How many here have just every head bowed? You say, you know, Pastor, I have to confess, I worry. I worry. Just raise your hand real quick. I worry. Put your hands up. I'm going to pray for you right now. Just leave them up. Father, 
I pray right now for every person that's worried about how you're going to take care of them. I pray right now that faith will dispel that worry, but even more than that, that your perfect love will cast out that fear in their heart that you will not provide or take care for them. I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. How many here say, you know, Pastor, I have to confess, I like, I like things. I like things. Just raise your hand. Come on, I'll be honest. I don't want any liars here. That's not good either. I got my hand up. See, I got my hand up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. Thank you. <laughs> For all those that had their eyes closed, I turned on the, on the worship team and they all raised their hands. <laughs> it was cute. I just check it. I love this girl, but I know she likes to shop. Oh, I'm just teasing. Hope you still love me after this. We like things, right? Come on now. Let's be honest. You know what? God likes things too. And he's allowing us to get things. But you know what? Let's not let things control us. That's what I'm saying to you today. It's not wrong to have things, but it is when they become, we go so far into debt that it's controlling our lives. That's wrong, right? Lord, I just pray today, deliver us from covetousness in the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be amazing stewards that you can entrust us with more. You can bless our lives and we can be a greater blessing to others. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.